0: Emma, Volume 1, Part 4, Chapters 10 through 12. In Chapter 10, we're told that it is now the middle of December, and Emma and Harriet make a charitable visit to a poor sick family. On their way, Harriet and Emma discuss marriage, and Emma reveals her intention to remain single. She is determined not to end up as poor Miss Bates, who is an old maid. Emma is in a much better situation than Miss Bates. In this discussion, we hear the first mention of Miss Bates's niece, Jane Fairfax. Emma says, One is sick of the very name of Jane Fairfax. Every letter from her is read forty times over. Her compliments to all friends go round and round again, and if she does but send her aunt the pattern of a stomacher or knit a pair of garters for her grandmother— One hears of nothing else for a month. I wish Jane Fairfax very well, but she tires me to death. Evidently, as we learn later, Jane Fairfax is about Emma's age, and everyone in the community always assumes Emma and Jane will be great friends. So Emma feels that Jane Fairfax is always being pushed on her. Right after this emotional expression... There is a brief scene in The Cottage of the Poor Sick People. The narrator tells us that Emma was very compassionate, and the distresses of the poor were as sure of relief from her personal attention and kindness, her counsel and her patience, as from her purse. She understood their ways, could allow for their ignorance and their temptations, had no romantic expectations of extraordinary virtue from those for whom education had done so little, entered into their troubles with ready sympathy, and always gave her assistance with as much intelligence as goodwill. Immediately after this descriptive paragraph, Emma says, These are the sights, Harriet, to do one good. How trifling they make everything else appear. I feel now as if I could think of nothing but these poor creatures, all the rest of the day. So, once again, we see different sides of Emma. On the one hand, she is the spoiled, rich girl, but she does have a good heart. She is compassionate and generous, and while her attitude toward the poor people seems condescending to us, we should remember that in her time, condescension was not considered to be a fault. To be condescending was seen as a virtue, a kind of voluntary humiliation. This is one of the reasons that, while Emma clearly has her faults, she remains a sympathetic character. On the way back from this visit, the two men encounter Mr. Elton, and Emma sees an opportunity to try to give Mr. Elton and Harriet some time to be alone. She keeps contriving to slow down while they are walking, Fussing with her bootlace, which she eventually breaks off entirely so that she can have an excuse to stop at Mr. Elton's to mend it. She does this so that she can give those whom she keeps referring to as the lovers some opportunity to be together. But while they are making small talk, it never progresses beyond that, and Emma attributes this to Mr. Elton's being cautious. Chapter 11 gives us the visit of the John Knightley family to Hartfield. John Knightley is the younger brother of Mr. George Knightley, who has married Emma's sister, Isabella. We see some interaction between them and their children, and between Emma and her father. Mrs. John Knightley, that is Isabella, is described as follows. She is described as a pretty elegant little woman, of gentle, quiet manners, and a disposition remarkably amiable and affectionate, wrapped up in her family, a devoted wife, a doting mother, and so tenderly attached to her father and sister that, but for these higher ties, a warmer love might have seemed impossible. She could never see a fault in any of them. She was not a woman of strong understanding or any quickness." End quote. Isabella is revealed as being not as bright as Emma and a person even more devoted to her father than Emma. Though Emma is very devoted to him as well, she is wrapped up in her family, that is, her children and her husband. Mr. John Knightley is revealed as someone who occasionally Clashes with Mr. Woodhouse. John does love his father in law, but their personalities are of the sort that they can occasionally get on each other's nerves. Emma is somewhat critical of that, of Mr. John Knightley's occasional minor confrontations with her father. Mr. Woodhouse once again brings up his favorite topic, the marriage of Miss Taylor, beginning with his trademark expression Poor Miss Taylor, it is a grievous business. The family is discussing that transition with which we began the novel, the marriage of Emma's former governess to Captain Weston. Mr. Woodhouse feels that the Westons have not visited them nearly as often as he wished. Emma says, Oh, Papa, we have missed seeing them but one entire day since they were married. Papa, if you speak in that melancholy way, you will be giving Isabella a false idea of us all. So the Westons visit virtually every day. Mr. Woodhouse finally concedes. Why, to be sure, said Mr. Woodhouse, yes, certainly. I cannot deny that Mrs. Weston, poor Mrs. Weston, does come and see us pretty often, but then she is always obliged to go away again. It would be very hard upon Mr. Weston if she did not, Papa. You quite forget poor Mr. Weston. The conversation then turns briefly to Captain Weston's son, that is, Frank Churchill, and the fact that he is now 23 and has not been to Highbury to visit them, though he has written a very proper, handsome letter. Chapter 12 sees the group dining together with the addition of Mr. Knightley, that is, John Knightley's older brother. Emma really would like to make up again with Mr. Knightley, She is uncomfortable with the tension that has arisen between them over the affair of Mr. Martin. We are also reminded here that Mr. Knightley was 16 when Emma was born. He is now about 37 or 38, and she has just turned 21. He has, as he puts it, the advantage of her by 16 years' experience, but they do seem to make up. The two brothers are contrasted in this chapter. The brothers talked of their own concerns and pursuits, but principally of those of the elder, whose temper was by much the most communicative, and who was always the greater talker. As a magistrate, he had generally some point of law to consult John about, or at least some curious anecdote to give, and as a farmer, as keeping in hand the home farm at Donwell, He had to tell what every field was to bear next year and to give all such local information, and so on. We see here that Emma's sister Isabella is perhaps like her father. Mr. Woodhouse is worried about her having become tired from her journey and recommends that they have a nice basin of gruel together, a kind of thin oatmeal or porridge, No one else really finds this very appetizing, so Isabella and her father each have some. They end up talking about the fact that Isabella and her family have not been to Hartfield for some time. The reason given for this is the necessity of taking the children to the seaside. The sea air and bathing were thought to be good for their health, especially little Bella's throat. That was the recommendation of their physician, Mr. Wingfield. Mr. Woodhouse disagrees because Mr. Perry, the local physician, has doubts about the sea doing anyone any good and doesn't think going there is a good idea. Here we have Mr. Woodhouse's comical worries about matters of health, but the conversation degenerates a bit when Mr. Woodhouse can't resist criticizing their choice of beaches. The John Knightleys went to South End, and Mr. Woodhouse says, If you must go to the sea, it had better not have been to South End. South End is an unhealthy place. Perry was surprised to hear you had fixed upon South End. You should have gone to Cromer if you went anywhere. Perry was a week at Cromer once, and he holds it to be the best of all the sea-bathing places. They tried to explain to him that Cromer would have been a hundred miles from their home rather than forty, and it would have been a much more tiring journey, but Mr. Woodhouse can't let it go, saying, ah, oh, my dear, as Perry says, where health is at stake, nothing else should be considered, and if one is to travel, there is not much to choose between forty miles and an hundred. Well, this finally becomes too much for John Knightley, and here we see the tension that sometimes exists between him and his father-in-law. Mr. Perry, said he, in a voice of very strong displeasure, would do as well to keep his opinion till it is asked for. Why does he make it any business of his to wonder at what I do, at my taking my family to one part of the coast or another? I may be allowed, I hope, the use of my judgment as well as Mr. Perry. I want his directions no more than his drugs. If Mr. Perry can tell me how to convey a wife and five children a distance of 130 miles with no greater expense or inconvenience than a distance of 40, I should be as willing to prefer Cromer to South End as he could himself." Mr Knightley, that is, Mr George Knightley, tries to play peacemaker here, but quote, Mr Woodhouse was rather agitated by such harsh reflections on his friend Perry, to whom he had in fact, though unconsciously, been attributing many of his own feelings and expressions, but the soothing attentions of his daughters gradually removed the present evil and the immediate alertness of one brother. And better recollections of the other prevented any renewal of it. And on that note, the chapter ends.